Welcome to Economically Speaking, the information podcast designed to bring you the latest economic development news in the town and the surrounding area, hosted by Babylon IDA CEO Tom Dolan. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome. My name is Tom Dolan, and I'm your host for Economically Speaking. Today, our special guest is Gwen O'Shea, President and CEO of CDCLI. That's the Community Development Corporation of Long Island. And as we look to share with our listening audience the role CDCLI plays here, not only in the town of Babylon, but here on Long Island. Good afternoon, Gwen. Good afternoon, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Thanks so much for being here. We know uh, you're very busy, but uh, again, thank you so much for being here. We know that there's a lot of information we can share with the uh, community, and uh, I think it's great that you're here. Maybe we could start with, maybe you could just share with our listening audience a little bit about yourself, CDCLI, and the role that you play at CDCLI. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me, and I appreciate you recognizing us as CDCLI, because as you can imagine through the pandemic, CDC, we've been confused with. We've gotten calls about, can we get vaccines? Or, you know, how can you help us with this other health issue? And we're like, no, no, it's CDCLI. So I appreciate you recognizing that. It's, uh, it's been my pleasure actually to serve as the CEO and president of CDCLI since March, 2017. Um, sometimes it feels like it's only been a few days and other times it feels like it's been many, many, many years that I've been right. with the organization, <laughs> just given the nature you know, of what we do. Um, But prior to joining the team there, I actually was on the board of CDCLI and I worked very closely with Marianne Garvin, who was my predecessor and and did a tremendous job leading the organization through her tenure. And uh, Marianne and I really got connected through the work that we were doing in response to Superstorm Sandy. And at that time, I was running an organization called the Health and Welfare Council of Long Island, otherwise known as HWCLI. We love acronyms in the nonprofit world. <laughs> um, and we worked actually also very closely with the supervisor. You know, uh, Supervisor Schaefer was such a tremendous leader um, through the response and the recovery of Sandy. And we did a lot of work together. Sure. And, and Marianne and I worked very closely together because really the biggest impact of Sandy was housing. Right. Um, and, and particularly in, in the town of Babylon and really across the South Shore of Long Island. And um, so, so that's how I became more familiar with the organization. But prior to that, sort of going way back, you know, I have my undergraduate degree in cultural anthropology and then got my graduate degree in urban planning and policy and nonprofit management. You can imagine how happy my parents were, who were very gracious to put me through four years of under graduate studies when they got the call from their youngest of three who said, I'm going to switch my major from pre-med to cultural anthropology. And they were like, I'm sorry, what? Um, But I think fast forward to today, you know, as a born and bred Long Islander, even though I've had the opportunity to live on the West Coast, to live in Europe and other places, um, it's just a a tremendous place. We have some work to do in a variety of areas and continuing to make it be a better place for everyone and really working with CDCLI and, and folks like you through the IDA and other leaders across the island, I think uh, I think it's a real possibility. Again, sometimes a disaster, it did shine a light on some of the things that we needed to do here as far as housing. Um, and it's one of the projects I think we worked on together, which was over in Copeg with the Copeg Commons. Absolutely. And what a great, um, gosh, again, the supervisor was such a visionary there working very closely with leadership of the community. You know, the Civic Association there was very vocal in wanting to really take a blighted area and create opportunity. And, um, you know, we were so proud to partner with Conifer, our our development partner there, and bring in funds, again, thanks to the supervisor and the IDA. You know, it takes a village to build a development. Sure. Sure. (laughs) And so funds were available through the, you know, the Governor's Office of Storm Recovery, and we were just thrilled that we could partner together to leverage those resources to really generate significant economic 
opportunity and activity um, within the town, but also, you know, to create homes for individuals that, that very much needed it. Absolutely. And, th- and that community continues to be on the, on the rise. You know, we see it every day, which is great. What is your mission? What are you looking to accomplish on a day-to-day basis, so to speak? Sure. So CDCLI has been serving um, the Long Island region for almost 53 years now. Sometimes we refer to ourselves as the best kept secret because many people will come to us, whether it's through our home ownership center or through our uh, community development financial institution or an elected official, quite frankly, and say, I didn't even know you guys existed. So we're really working on getting the word out about the great work that we do, which is all about creating home and economic stability and opportunity for individuals and communities as they define it, right? Because we know Long Island, one of the downsides on Long Island is we have so many layers of government and so many different townships and municipalities and that becomes challenging and they're all unique in nature and that's wonderful, Um, but we wanna work with each and every one of those areas to really create a community that's thriving from a, a development perspective, but also from a financial perspective. Sounds a little bit about what, like what we do, and I yeah. think that's why it has such great synergy uh, between us, no doubt. You know, we look obviously COVID. Uh, it's you know it's still here. Um, we're still dealing with it. How would you describe prior to COVID? You know, what were some of the challenges and some of the the issues you were facing? And some of, again, you just mentioned different layers of government trying to navigate those things. But what would you say prior to COVID was some of the things you were working on and, and things that were happening on Long Island? Here? Uh, absolutely, I think. I, to your point, um, COVID, similar to Superstorm Sandy, as we kind of started with, pulled back the curtain on a lot of the challenges that the region had as a whole um, and areas where we really needed to dig in and do a lot more work. And I think one of the areas that we all knew, and, and we work closely with the IDA and those of you in the town on this issue, um, was the need for housing and how as our communities have changed, it's not changing, it's changed. Our communities have changed in terms of what individuals are looking for and what communities are looking for. You know, the Roush Foundation had done a study that I think pointed to probably close to 110,000 units of housing were necessary wow, yeah. to meet the needs yeah. of our communities across all different requirements, right? Whether we were talking about a senior that was looking to downsize from their home or a young individual that was trying to move out of mom and dad's basement and be able to afford a unit on their own while still having some money to spend in the community. Right. So that that was already an issue pre-COVID, right? We also know that Long Island, just based on our history, redlining and how communities were planned, there was a tremendous amount of disparity and there was not the same opportunity for black and brown communities that there were for white communities looking at just how the red lines were drawn around communities, looking at deed restrictions that the federal government put on. So those those issues were there and I think fast forward to where we are now, they've become compounded um, by, by COVID-19. And I think, quite frankly, we started to see some movement in a really great way of communities. You know, we're talking about copay comments, talking about some work that's happened, you know, in Farmingdale, in in Riverhead, in a variety of communities across the island. There was some momentum, which is really positive. And I think we have to capitalize on that as we look to get and make our way out of this pandemic. Sure. Um, And I I don't know if this statistic is exactly right, but I know we hear all the time that I think the rest of the country has about, because we're talking a lot of times about housing options from what you just said. 
and it's to be able to give something or have something available to different sectors of, of the marketplace. Uh, but I think the rest of the country has about a 35% rental, and we're at about 10%. It's an ex, it's such excellent points. And when we look at our, even just our like surrounding brother and sister communities, whether you're talking about the boroughs or Northern New Jersey or Westchester, they're, they're, you're right. They're closer to about 40%. Some areas, you know, New York city, obviously in the boroughs, it's a much larger rental market, but in terms of comparing us to other similar suburban communities, closer to 40%. And we hover right now around 20%. And that just makes, you know, from a, uh, demand perspective, Quite frankly, it also gives individuals the opportunity to up the cost of those rental units. And all that does is force individuals to spend more of their money on housing, which doesn't allow them to spend more of their money locally to support the economy or save if they think about wanting to become a homeowner. So, you know, on average, we should be spending about 30% of our income on housing costs and on the island Many of us, a large percentage, spend closer to 50%, which just has, it's just compounds our inability to grow financially and economically. And that's where, in other words, and you and I both deal with it, and you talked about when you went through Sandy and the supervisor getting the community buy-in, it's so important because you hear on one side of the ledger, right, people say, well, you got to do something for the young people. You got to create, you know, a housing option. It's so expensive to live here. Then you bring a solution to the table sometimes. It's like, well, not here, you know, because again, you use that word affordability or you use, and some of the communities try to lock this out, but they don't realize all the benefits that this does bring to the community. Absolutely. I was having a conversation with a colleague about this today, the importance of recognizing there are differences of opinion even though there may be a shared common goal. And so it's providing the space or the table, like the one we're sitting around, for those opinions to be shared and heard without there being this polarizing defensiveness, which unfortunately is kind of the space that we're in. You know, Mm. when we were talking about the Amazon deal, for example, you know, in Queens, and it wasn't just one side, it was both sides never had an opportunity to really be heard. The community at the beginning never had an opportunity to weigh in about what its concerns were. Instead, it was perceived as because there were concerns, they were anti, so we don't want to provide a voice. And then you had the other side saying what the other side was saying. You know, and So it just, um, you're 100% right. There are, there are different perspectives, at, but I think there's tremendous opportunity. And so it's really about hearing even those that may not agree from the beginning and giving them the right facts, which is something you guys deal with all the time as an ITA, you know, and I kudos to you guys for trying to manage that because people put the wrong information out there, you know, and, and that has tremendous impact, you know, on, on a community's ability to grow and thrive. No, absolutely. There's so, there's so many positives to the type of development we're talking about on so many fronts, you know, because we talk about, again, from an economic development standpoint, the multiplier effect that it does. And it actually protects older homeowners, you know, because someday it's that young person that's renting in the community that falls in love with the community and now wants to buy your home, you know, so there's that constant movement that's needed. Absolutely. Um, you know, there was a great, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just no, to that that's point. Good. You know, the Long Island Planning Council um, had engaged some consultants to work on an assessment of the impact of development in Patchogue and, you know, what it actually, what the report, factually based, objectively driven, determined was there was huge benefit to homeowners 
by seeing that type of cultivation and revitalization happen in the downtown, so much so that they're not only their property values went up, but there was an opportunity for their property taxes to go down, which is one of the biggest concerns, you know, across the region. So it's getting that factual information out that is that is so critical, but often in a time like this, very very challenging. Sure, and that's why again we appreciate you being here because that's. You know, part of the reason this podcast came out was um, we worked on one of the projects in Lindenhurst with the TriTech, yeah. the well. And some of the things I listened to at the public hearing, <laughs> it was like, wow, where'd you get that? But again, you take it, but you realize that, again, getting the right information out there is cause, so people can understand the benefits and why it's so necessary. Again, when you talk about building sustainable communities, so important that this gets out there and that we keep up and keep going in the direction that we're going right now. Absolutely. You're dealing with certain things now. You're trying to help people. Again, COVID has done what it's done. It's, it's reared its ugly head again. What are some of the things you're working on now or, or helping people through right now in the region? You're right. COVID has done some terrible, horrific things, you know, to us individually and collectively. And I, I will say we are, you know, thrilled, however, that there is a tremendous amount of support coming out from the federal level. Um, to try to combat some of the challenges that we know individuals are facing. And we, we so appreciate our local municipalities, you know, standing up and leaning in to access those resources and really create programs, initiatives, capital that make the most sense. You know, again, kudos to you guys and the work you're doing in supporting small businesses in really looking at the impact, again, of maybe weeby businesses, excuse me for those listening to the acronyms, but minority, you know, women business-owned sure. and veteran-owned um, sure. businesses to recognized they were disproportionately impacted, had lack of access to traditional capital, and so doing so really helps them try to stand back up, uh, sustain themselves, and thrive. So that's amazing, and, and we're proud to be working with you guys on a rental relief program, um, which is available you know, to all renters. Mm -hmm. um, we were working directly with the town of Babylon. We're also working on some programs in Nassau County, but it's, as I'm sure pretty much everyone is following in the, in the news, it's unfortunately underutilized. And I think part of that is driven by a misunderstanding mm -hmm. of the program. We want to make sure everyone gets this is this is meant to help people stay safe in an apartment. But if for whatever reason, someone who receives the funds decides they want to move down the block or they want to move in with a cousin, they don't they're not forced to stay in the apartment that they may be receiving, you know, funds for. And for landlords, they're not forced to keep the tenant for a year, which is some of the misinformation that people are hearing. It's right. really to help residents, tenants stay housed and landlords stay whole because we know on Long Island, in particular in the town, you know, many of our landlords are mom and pop for the lack of a better term, where sure. they may be living, you know, three streets away, they own another house that they rent and they use that income to support themselves because property taxes are high, you know, here on the island. And so that, that income is critical. We want to make sure people access that funding. Um, it's also really important that individuals who may not yet be U.S. citizens or may not have documentation, they are also able to receive that funding. That is something that the federal government has made clear because, again, they want to keep people housed. We do not want to see any sort of homeless crisis. We don't want to see people defaulting, you know, on owning properties. We want municipalities to get the, you know, right. property taxes paid. So we strongly encourage individuals, you know, to reach out to us and 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 talk with us um, if they do have any sort of rental arrears or they foresee. Um, challenges paying their rent going forward. These funds are also available for that, and they're not 
They're not going to be paid back. It is not a loan. These are grant funds, again, wow. to help minimize the impact of COVID. Um, we also are doing a lot of work. We saw, believe it or not, sort of on the other end of the spectrum, as a community development financial institution, we do a lot of lending for first-time home buyers. We saw our highest numbers in production ever since we've established, you know, our CDFI in 20 years, right. and um, which is great, you know, seeing in particular because our products are really meant for working families. So we were able to help a lot of individuals that otherwise might have been pushed and priced out of the market because many other individuals were kind of competing for right. you know home purchases here. Right. So we were really happy to be able to provide that support. Um, and then the other piece I will just put on your radar and, and individuals that may be listening is we will be starting some outreach for home ownership relief. So we know many individuals on Long Island may have had trouble you know, paying their mortgage during right. the COVID pandemic. We did have a forbearance period. Unfortunately, Long Island, you know, Prior to COVID, we were still responding to the foreclosure crisis of 2007, 2008, believe it or not. Wow, yeah. And so, um, again, recognizing how costly home ownership is here, how high property taxes are, that some people still got into a little bit of an uncomfortable financial situation and any loss of income really makes it very difficult you know, to cover those costs. So we're going to be starting probably in about a week or two some outreach and marketing about the soon to be released housing assistance fund program that New York State will be running. Um, and that is funded through treasury funds as well. New York State got the second highest allocation nationally to support individuals. And while it's a tremendous amount of money, we also have a tremendous amount of homeowners in New York State wow. that are struggling. So it's not going to be able to cover every single individual that is struggling. But the great thing is, for individuals that may not have a mortgage, like seniors who, again, are sort of house rich and cash poor right. that haven't been able to pay their property taxes, this will be relief for them so that they're able to get those taxes. And again, in terms of the multiplier effect, will be really also very important for municipalities to see that increase you know, in the tax base again. Again, we're going to put the contact information on. All this information will be up on your website, I'm assuming. Absolutely. And then, uh, I'm sitting here with David, who helps uh, put the show together here, but uh, we'll make sure that we can get any information we can get out to uh, even to the people that we do business with all the time because they have a lot of employees that might be in a similar situation. It's so important to help. But getting back to the, the rental relief program and some of these programs, and I think that's what happens too. People hear basic information, well, I won't qualify. And I think what you're saying too is get on the phone, get on the, you know, email you, see if you can apply and let the expert walk you through the situation to see if there's something there for you. Absolutely. That's a really great point, which is like at the at worst case scenario, it's a phone call where you learned you weren't eligible right. versus losing an opportunity to potentially get $5,000, $10,000, whatever, you know, the rent may be up to the, the cap area, you know, th those resources because they're there. And if we don't spend them on the rental relief needs that we know are out there, there's a very real possibility that those funds, you know, will be lost for the region. So we strongly encourage everyone, again, it's a phone call, you know, that we have a pre-screen assessment tool, very easy on our website that people can tap into at any time of day at their leisure just to pre-screen themselves, but always available to take calls from individuals or to your point, on behalf of an individual who may know something, know someone, right? Like maybe your mom or dad has a, a home health aide at, you know, at home that is, you know, making a decent salary, but, you know, potentially struggling. They may be an ideal candidate. You know, they rent an apartment someplace and this might be something that could help them because their, their earnings were cut in half during COVID because they couldn't see, you know, or serve um, patients. 
Sure. Is there is there a time? Is this something that people only have a certain amount of time to apply? Or so we are encouraging individuals to apply as soon as possible okay. because the time frames are out of our control. Right. So there is the possibility that um, both the you know the Treasury and HUD could say this is it. What's spent at this point is it. So we really want individuals to really look at their eligibility as soon as possible versus you know waiting because we know unfortunately with the eviction moratorium while that's been great because it's allowed people to stay housed people wonder myself included has that also allowed people to delay the process and we just want people to again get the money that they're eligible for get the resources that are out there rather than waiting because who knows what tomorrow's going to bring absolutely who else do you partner with or in programs like this who else are you partner with what other resources are what can people look for as far as your outreach goes you know what kind of messaging are you going to be getting out there and how so we are trying every platform and outlet possible word of mouth we word find mouth, is right. always the best way because it brings credibility with it so if you talk to a friend who talks to another friend and says you know CDCLI is doing this trust me it's an easy process it's you know they're keep your information confidential there it's so easy to talk to they have multiple languages available if you have you know other um, language needs other than English so word of mouth is always the, the best we're doing you know advertisements through Spotify and through Pandora and we're doing mailings to renters and we're doing mailers to to landlords um, we're going out through schools we would welcome the opportunity to do webinars with any local elected officials. We've been doing some of that, you know, explaining to constituents, um, going through different departments within municipalities, whether it's, you know, human services, Hispanic affairs, social services, um, consumer affairs. We're happy to, you know, take 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, walk people through it, do a a recorded webinar as a way to get information out. Um, We're hitting every platform because the reality is everybody's just exhausted from COVID. And, and, you know, I think sometimes people at the end of the day are just like, I just want to sit home and I want want, want to, I want to watch something on Netflix and I just don't want to talk about this right now. So, um, so we think it's taking a little bit more to get people connected, but we were committed to getting it done. That's great. And I think they got the right person leading the charge here. (laughs) I sure do. How would you describe success as far as, you know, through this program, through coming out of COVID and getting back to that, what we talked about the sustainability of things you know I think uh, for me and and for those of us at CDCLI we see success on an individual basis and on a systemic basis right so we have I mean we have individuals that go through our family self-sufficiency program which means they're they're probably really financially constrained at about you know 30 percent or 40 percent of the area median income which is you know 20 something thousand dollars for a family right and and they go through our program and save in the course of two years, we just had a graduate who became an RN, is now making $135,000 a year and saved $50,000 while going through the program. I mean, it's just extraordinary what individuals, the resiliency that individuals demonstrate and have. And so we love those stories, but we also recognize, you know, we need 2 million more of them. So um, for us, success in, in both the short and the long term is everyone having a home, however they define that, whether it's a rental, whether it's a home, whether it's a condo, whether it's with a partner or whatnot, and it's a home that's safe and stable, and that the home expands to a safe and stable community, and that they have the finances that they need to 
create and succeed at whatever it is that they envision for themselves and their family. That's a great mission and a great story there. You know, I, you made me, as you said that, I thought of uh, Stephen Covey with Seven Habits, right? Knowledge, skill, and desire. And you, you talk about the person that became the nurse. You can give somebody the knowledge and, and they might have the skill, but if they don't have the desire and to be able to put that kind of money away and make that kind of commitment is a great, and that would be a great success story for everyone. Why don't we move to, you know, somebody's listening to this podcast. How would they get in touch with uh, your organization? And maybe you can give them a couple different ways to reach out to you. Absolutely. We welcome folks to reach out on a variety of different levels. We actually had a great conversation on Friday um, about different types of capital to increase housing on Long Island and how do we support the millennial and Gen X communities and, and generations here. And we had such great feedback and comments for individuals and I I bring that up because that's the type of um, engagement that CDCLI is looking for as we move forward is really ground up solution um, driven uh, innovative uh, ideas presented and so I strongly encourage individuals to go onto our website which is www.cdcli.org to find out more about some of our programs to take a look at our leadership team to take a look at our board so that they can maybe connect through an avenue that's most comfortable for them. Um, they can obviously always uh, reach out. Individuals are welcome to reach out to me through email, which is gauchet at cdcli.com. I'm sorry. No, we're actually .org. I take that back. Or they can give us a call. You know, our, our phone number is 631-471-1215. Those that are looking for more specifics about the rental relief or other types of assistance in the moment can call our 1-800 number because that's probably easier and that's 1-800-375-1014. But we welcome um, connections and conversations because it's really with a team, a village, a a collaborative that we're going to really move the needle on housing and uh, financial growth for everybody here uh, in the town of Babylon and across, across the island. No, that's important. I just want to remind everybody listening, too, that all the information Gwen uh, had just given will also be in our show notes. Uh, so all the information, the correct email. Great. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but yes, we'll have all that information in our show notes. So uh, please go and uh, get that there. Is there any last little commercial you want to give before we kind of sign out? I wrap sometimes when individuals ask that question in terms of how to be engaged or how to you know think about what we do, which is... You know, when you go home tonight, you know, and you kick off your shoes and you either curl up on the couch or in bed or you take a dip in the pool or whatever you do when you get home, that feeling of like when you take that first breath and it's like, thank God, I'm just home. And I have maybe peace and quiet. Maybe you have peace, maybe not quiet, depending on who makes up your home. But it feels so good and it feels safe and protecting. And like I said, like a sanctuary that you remember that feeling and that not everyone has that and how important having that foundation is. And that's what is at the crux of CDCLI. So we welcome individuals to engage with us in any way possible to figure out how we create more of that stability for everybody here in the region. That's such a great, great message. And um, that's passion. It really is. And uh, that comes through, no doubt about it. I'm going to give a quick shout out to Viana Alves, uh, which helped with uh, getting this podcast up. Yes, uh, (laughs) she's going to be moving on in a new role with the town. 
Uh, we're going to miss her here, but she did a lot of work here in other areas, but uh, also with the podcast. And uh, we want to both thank her and wish her well. So I just wanted to get that out. Other than that, thank you so much for being here today, Gwen. It was such great information. And again, we'd love to have you come back in the future. We can update people if there's additional information or anything we can help you with also. Uh, the work you do is tremendous, and it's so great, not just for our residents here in the town, but obviously for our region. We've been talking with Gwen O'Shea, President and CEO of CDCLI. My name is Tom Dolan. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day, everyone. This episode of Economically Speaking Podcast was brought to you by the Town of Babylon IDA. To find out more information about today's topic, our guest, or to simply stay connected, please visit the show notes where you'll find all the relevant links.